Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. This week, founder Paul speaks to Maureen Brown, owner of specialist HR recruitment business, Sullivan Brown. Maureen gives us insights into a post-COVID workplace through her wealth of experience. There are some background noises in this episode. Fingers crossed we can soon do these episodes in person. If you like this episode, don't forget to write us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. And as ever, enjoy the show. So Mo, welcome to the Everymind podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. No worries, no worries. I know you said you were nervous, but there's nothing to be nervous about. We're just going to have a chat, <laughs> use your expertise, um, and, and hopefully give some value to people listening or watching. So let's just start by kind of um, telling us a little bit about what you do now and a little bit about Sullivan Brown as well. Okay. So I'm the managing director of Sullivan Brown. It's my own business. Um, I set up Sullivan Brown back in 2013. And we are HR specialist recruiters. Essentially, we spend our life recruiting HR professionals, talking to HR professionals, talking to business leaders about uh, their people's strategies and HR within their business. So um, that's what we do. Um, Previous to that, I worked in larger recruitment agencies for 17 years um, until I decided to set up my own business. Um, Nice. That's what I'm doing now. Awesome. And and hearing that and also you know, with business in tip in general, it's almost because sometimes people see a solution that needs to be fixed. So obviously with your past experience in, in recruitment sort of, you know, companies, um, what are you trying to do with different with Sullivan Brown? There was a number of things, actually, there was a number of drivers and there's a number of things that we try to do differently. And um, I think firstly, the the main driver for me was I started in recruitment back in 1997 when there was no internet. <laughs> you probably can't remember, there was no internet. <laughs> there, so there was no job boards, there was no email when I started in recruitment. I mean, it sounds really unbelievable now, but it meant that the value that you delivered was really knowing your network. And, you know, we used to have to take CVs to a client or deliver them on the fax and talk the client through the CVs. Um, And it was all about who you knew and the strength of your network, not just putting a job on a job board and being able to fill it. Mm. It was very relationship driven. And as our world kind of um, evolved, and I think the recruitment industry has totally turned on its head since I started in what still feels to me to be a relatively short space of time, it became very transactional and very much about large corporate accounts. And it became harder for larger recruitment businesses to be profitable in a relationship building, um, long-term partnership type of way. It was much more about win big corporate accounts and fill the jobs quickly. Consultants had to work on more jobs to be able to maintain the profit margins. And it just meant for me that what I enjoyed about recruitment and where I think I really added value as a recruiter was kind of taken away from the job really on a day-to-day basis. And I missed it. And I knew that there were still some clients that wanted it. Um, So I felt that in order to be able to recruit in the way that I like to recruit, where I feel happy, where I feel like I'm doing a really good job, it was almost impossible to do that in other recruitment businesses anymore. So being small and niche and working to my own values and my own culture and my own service levels meant really in order to do that, I had to go and set up on my own. And if I'm honest, the other um, big driver for me was, you know, I had two young children the recruitment industry is notoriously bad for flexibility and for being long hours. And, you know, when I was getting to the point where I was having to um, choose which child's nativity I went to, because Mm. one was in nursery and one was in school, um, I couldn't pick them up from school 
any day. And um, it was it was affecting my mental health. I didn't feel like I was being a good mom and I didn't feel like I was being good at my job. And I was being asked to manage people in ways that I just didn't feel comfortable with. And it was affecting me as a person. It was making me ill, worrying about that all the time. And I just thought, you know, there's only one way I think to try and do what I do, do what I love in a way that makes me happy. And that's to set it up in my own way and see if it works. And um, that that was what happened really. Amazing. And I think there's a couple of things there that's been, that's come up a couple of times on the podcast recently. I think flexibility, definitely as well, changing, you know, lifestyles changing, you know, you becoming a mum, how that impacted your kind of, you know, career and, and what your sort of focus and drivers were. And I think as well with that kind of whole importance of, of almost bringing it back to, you know, the core of, of what makes a business and the core of relationships. And, and especially again, you know, during these difficult times, relationships and connections have been key as well. So um, before we kind of talk about, you know, the HR landscape, I'm sure has changed and you can share your experience on that as well. Um, if you don't mind talking about your own sort of personal, you know, journey of, as you said, you know, it was impacting your mental health in, in that kind of um, job at that time. Um, if you can just talk about that, if you can, you know, why do you think that those kind of, you know, the pressures that you was facing the recruitment industry was impacting your mental health? It's it's interesting because I've thought about it a lot and actually I've started to speak about it a a lot more. And I think um, much as um, it probably sounds a little bit deep um, and I don't want to sound too self-indulgent, but I I think a lot of it comes from actually when I was growing up. So um, my mum died when I was um, very little um, and she was in hospital for for, um, a lot, a lot of the time that, that, I, I was alive at the same time as her as well. Um, I had a bit, a bit of a strange upbringing. So, so my mum my died when I was little. My brother was adopted out to another family because he had Down syndrome. I went to live with my auntie and uncle during the week and my dad at the weekends because he couldn't look after me because he was working. Um, and none of that actually really bothered me so much when, when I was growing up, other than I, I felt a little bit different to other people. And, and, and there were things that they had that I didn't, which were like family holidays and family Christmases. We didn't do Christmas because my mum died at Christmas and my um, brother was born on Christmas Day. Um, so I just felt a bit different. And I think growing up then through, through high school, I was bullied. And because I felt different, I kind of allowed that bullying to happen because I just felt like I was different and, and therefore in some way deserved that. I just felt like a bit of a freak really, to be honest. Um, and I think, you know, you kind of, you come through that in, in numerous different ways, don't you? And, and some people come out very strongly from that. And I think a lot of people, when they meet me now, are surprised to hear that I was ever bullied because they see me as a really confident person. Actually, I'm not at all. I've managed to convince myself to be because I was fed up of being bullied. So when I went to sixth form college, I just thought, no more, I'm not going to be like this anymore. And I created this much louder persona, but it's only an outward persona. It's, it's not how you really feel internally. So I think work then, when I went into a work world, I was very driven by when I was feeling successful, I was overconfident. But as soon as I started to not feel successful, I would just retreat back to that bullied teenager. And it was very easy for people to bully me in a work environment. And they pretty much did. And I think when you get to the point where you're feeling unhappy in work and you're not feeling successful in work and people are constantly telling you that you're doing it wrong or your way of doing something isn't right, it doesn't fit with the company, it's not the right approach, your ideas aren't good, you just start to kind of shrink in on yourself a little bit again. And it and it it affects 
you know how you feel about yourself how you feel about life and and you just start to doubt every decision that you're making so you just lose the confidence to function properly and i think when you get to that stage and you're constantly living with self-doubt or constantly thinking someone's going to tell you that you're wrong that that's not right that you can't do it this way becomes quite a miserable place to be and then when you're trying to balance that with children at the same time you know it, it starts to impact how you parent as well and then it just got to the point where it all became too much for me it, it was the things I was being asked to do I didn't feel I had the confidence to do and I didn't agree with but I didn't feel like I had the confidence or, or the right even to challenge them because I was constantly being told that I was wrong and so I just started to believe that I was wrong and I wasn't great at my job and I, you know I didn't know what I was talking about and that's a really horrible place to get to. And it's only when you start to, you know, something happens, something triggers that, that makes you think, hang on a minute, this, is, this isn't right. I mean, you know, in the last job I had before I set up my own business, there were some management decisions I was asked to, to carry out that I just fundamentally disagreed with. And it made me feel really physically ill to, to think that they were going to make me do that to somebody. I just didn't agree with it. And I fought against it. And what happened in the end was I ended up asking for a demotion because I didn't want to do what they wanted me to do. They demoted me and I thanked them for removing that responsibility from me by demoting me. And I look back at it now as the person I am now and think, what on earth was I thinking? What was, what was I doing? But I think when you have been bullied as a, a teenager and you fought your way out of that there is always a part of you that means somebody can put you back there quite quickly mm. and you've always got to be aware of it and have coping strategies for it but sometimes you just can't and yeah. i know now i'm 46 years of age i own my own business somebody you know anyone with the right approach can put me back to that place and then i have mm. to mentally climb out again you know. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I thank you for sharing as well. You know, always as, as you know, in my story and what we're trying to do, personal experience, I think is key, you know, so hearing you share openly now, I think can help so many people as well. Um, and, and it is sad to hear that, you know, that experience of, of being in that workplace and being told to carry out something that you disagree with and then, you know, having to ask for that you know, responsibility be, to be taken away with from you. And that was the way that they dealt with it. You know, like there, there's no human element to that at all. And, 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 you know, I'd also like to know the actual long-term impact that that business probably had due to that way of management, you know, short-term, they might've ticked a couple of boxes, but long-term, you know, how much did that impact culture and, and everything around them? Um, and, and on that note, you know, if, if we can talk about that, like what, what would you say, you know, that organization or from your experience, you know, what could they have done differently to, to maybe make you feel a little bit more valued and, and, and improve, you know, how you was feeling at that time? It's a really good question. I think there's a number of things, actually. Um, firstly, I think that business and not just them, other businesses, because I see it all the time, recruit people for their expertise and their value and for something that they see in that person when they interview them but then bring them into a business and don't allow them to utilize that expertise, whether it be because it, it, it's um, they've got a very distinct way of working or they've got very strong managers who just aren't open to new ways of working and they're very strong characters. And I think when you've got value to add, but you're constantly not being allowed to, to me, one, that's a shame for the business because they're losing the opportunity to gain from your expertise. Um, 
and to maybe be a better business for having different ways of working. But also it's a shame for the people that go in because obviously I interview people for a living and the amount of people that I interview that come to us because they're feeling um, demoralized or like they want to move on because they're just not being allowed to do the job that they were brought in to do. And some people recognize it early on and say, I've got to move because I'm not being effective. Some people, by the time they get to me, it's already affecting their confidence because mm -hmm. they're seeing it as a personal, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right words. They're seeing it as, as, as it's personally them doing something wrong. So the business isn't getting anything out of them where actually in my experience, that's not the case at all. They're great people, but they're just not being managed in the right way. And I think mm. sometimes businesses don't take the time to move away from a one size fits all approach to management and utilization of people and realize that different people have different needs. And if you get somebody good, it's well worth the investment of understanding what motivates that person and, and what's going to get the best out of them. Because yeah. I always think if I think about my own personal situation, I know how hard I work and I know how reliable I am and I know how much I'm a people pleaser. I always want to do a good job. So, um, you know, I know how much I'm motivated by doing a good job. All that company really needed to do was encourage me and, yeah. and give me the space to, to do what I do in the way that I do it and not constantly tell me I was wrong. And they would have got so much out of me. Mm. Um, and I could still have been there now, but that they didn't want to do that. And I think, you yeah. know, the amount of people that come to me and I, and I say to them, you now is the time to look for a new opportunity because if you don't, I know where you're going to go. Yeah. And it's no, it's no good. And what it usually comes down to Paul is a clash of ethics. Um, just somebody feeling, we get a lot of people talking about cultural fit in the workplace mm. and the people I see that are really unhappy in their workplace, it's usually because they're clashing culturally with the business or with their manager. Um, and, and I don't think that's anything really that you can do much about unless the business is willing to change their culture um, yeah. or recognize mm. that for you mm. and make exceptions. So I just think it's listening more and communicating more two-way conversations and um, two-way communications to hear what people are saying um, and actually hear it rather than just put a survey out and say oh yeah we're doing well look people would endorse us but you know how much are you really listening to what people are saying about how they're feeling yeah i like that and i think there's a lot of statistics and we throw them around as well about you know what's the what's the cost to a business based upon absenteeism and presenteeism and when it comes to mental health but i think the one that often you know and you've just made me think actually the one that we don't focus on as much is job retention and you know you've probably got much you know better stats than we have but i know that for for an employee to be let go or for an employee to leave you know the cost to the business is huge you know for that person to come in potentially get some training get to a certain level and then all of a sudden that person's left you now need to fill that recruitment fees whatever you need to do training time um you know the, the cost is huge and and i think now we're seeing and you might agree we're seeing people see opportunities open up a lot more and people are more willing to leave jobs because they're looking for that culture fit. You know, I'm not like my granddad, you know, stuck in a job and, and you're there for sort of 40, 50 years. And because that's what you're meant to do. Now we're looking at, I don't really fit in here. I don't feel valued. I haven't got the freedom, the flexibility, but here's an opportunity where I've got that culture fit and I can go there instead. Um, so, you know, do you agree? And do you see that being a big impact on a business if they can't get that right? 
completely. I think when people come to us now as a recruiter and they're looking for a new role, usually it's interesting because over the time that I've been in recruitment from the, the late 90s through to now, actually we've seen regular shifts in what's driving people you know when i first started in the 90s it was money money and yeah, status totally, yeah. people would move for a fiver you know it was like i'll, I'll move for 10 pence <laughs> an hour everyone wanted more money it was like that kind of wolf of wall street thing going on yeah, yeah. and then we hit the first recession that i've worked through as a recruiter and it did change and people wanted stability and what we saw was a lot of people wanting to move into the public sector for stability. Mm. That didn't last. You know, after a while when things settled down, people wanted challenge again and, and they wanted to move. And then we saw um, people wanting flexibility and homeworking, you know, um, when it was a new thing yeah. and when the internet came out and everyone wanted that. And then we hit another recession and nobody wanted that again. What they wanted again mm. was safety mm. and security and to know that they had a job. And then since then, things have really kind of, um, changed and, and I think what happened when we hit the financial crash in 2008 was people realized actually there are no secure jobs anymore um, nothing is safe nothing is secure the world is, is moving at such a pace that it's only secure for the short to medium term at best so actually what we want is a job where we feel fulfilled and happy and like we're adding value and we want to you know, for, for as long as that job is there, we want to feel like we're making an impact. So there became much more talk about, okay, what are the objectives of the role that I'm going into? Not what are the duties and responsibilities? We mostly know those. We don't want a full list of what I'll be doing day to day. Mm. I want to know how are you going to measure whether I'm being successful in that job? What are my objectives? And what is the deal for doing it? And people making... Um, big decisions based on the overall deal. And this is where we started hearing about employee value propositions. So I will come and I will work really hard for you and I will give you everything I've got, all of my expertise, my time, my effort, my commitment. But I also, I'm really interested to know what you're going to give me in return. And that's no longer all about the money. We see people moving for a reduction in pay all mm. the time at the moment what we see is someone wanting a fair deal in return and that fair deal will be different depending on who you are what stage you're at in your life financially how you are in your life so you know if you're a working parent you might say you know i've still got loads and loads to give and i want to come to a business that recognizes me recognizes that doesn't treat me any differently because i need to leave to do a school pickup but recognizes that i'll log back on when i get home and do just as good a job still mm. want to feel like i can be successful at work even though i need a bit of flexibility um or it, it could be that that people like the social aspect of, of being in an office you know they really enjoy the um, the perks of working in an office with a gym or somewhere they can cycle to work or somewhere where they get a works mobile phone or you know we're just it could be different for everybody so what we're seeing is forward-thinking companies really understanding the need to have a very broad evp because that deal will feel very different to different people and when people are saying culturally they want to align with the business that is about how people manage their people what they do as a business, how they approach it. And people are much more aware of that these days. Yeah. So it, it's shifted a lot over the time that I've been in recruitment as to what drives somebody to leave or join a business. And it is all about that culture and the much broader deal rather than just about pay and duties and responsibilities, which it yeah. used to be. 
I love that. And again, you touched on it and we touched on it a lot as well. Is that one size fits all approach still, isn't it? As, as you said, the same in mental health, mental well-being. You know, mm-hmm. how many times I've heard, well, we've got an EAP, you know, and it's like, okay, <laughs> that isn't a solution right. for every single employee <laughs> because mental health is so individual. You know, some people like mindfulness, some people like exercise, some people want flexibility, you know, other people are motivated by money and, and that's what's going to drive them. Other people are motivated by flexibility and, you know, work from home and spending time with the kids, etc. So, you know, like you say, it is kind of moving away from that one size fits all approach. And I think, you know, the internet has almost offered up that opportunity where I can read about another company that does this for their yeah. staff and this company does this. And, and then I can kind of, expect that as an employee as well um if we talk about hr professionals obviously you know we work with a lot and and they've been through a lot over the last couple of months you know you know and almost a lot of what's been going on has been handed over to human resources um so what have you kind of seen in the approach that um you know hr professionals have had to take during the sort of covid19 situation Again, it's a really good question because what we're seeing is that it's very different depending on the business that you're in. So again, if you reflect back to the financial crash of of 2008, what we saw was a retrenching generally across the board. The recruitment world just shut down almost. And we saw businesses just shedding their recruitment people and shedding their L&D people overnight to reduce cost. Um, And that was across the board pretty much. This is very different. So this is in some ways bigger, but actually it's quite sector specific. So what we're seeing is quite polarized at the moment in terms of how HR people are having to approach this situation and how businesses are approaching it. So we've got HR people in our network who have been bogged down in redundancies and having to keep the communications going and managing consultations virtually um, and having to do some really difficult things. Um, and so, you know, the, the kind of work that HR don't really want to do about seeing where they can take cost out, where they can shed people, where they can reduce heads and really having to do that. And we're seeing that obviously with the furlough scheme is, um, is ending soon. So we're seeing more of that at the moment. But on the flip side of that, there are some sectors out there that this just hasn't negatively impacted. Mm. So at the complete polar opposite to that, we're seeing businesses being really forward thinking about their people offering. They've realized during this time the value in an engaged workforce. They've realized the increase in productivity they're getting from people having more flexibility to work from home. They've realized how important their communication and engagement strategies are. And we're seeing some businesses whose EMPS scores have never been as high. And, um, you know, we're noticing that in the um, recruitment market because there are people saying, I'm really happy where I am based on how their employer has responded to the crisis. Mm -hmm. So it's really polarized how HR people are having to respond to it. Some are really still having to focus on the negative elements of it um, and they're tired. They've been doing this for months um, and they're tired and their resilience is low. And we were hearing a lot about that on our work, um, our workshop yesterday. And then there are other people out there who were saying, you know, oh my God, I'm getting a chance to be really innovative. This has been a blessing. I've been trying to get the business to listen to me about home working, remote working um, for years and they wouldn't. And now they see that it works. So now we get to do some different things. So it's very different. And then we're seeing businesses as well. Some really interesting things happening during um, this time that we don't usually see in a recession in the HR world, certainly in the HR recruitment world. 
we're actually quite busy with L&D roles and we haven't seen businesses getting rid of their L&D people in general. Um, they've realized that the development of their people is important to keep people engaged during times where, where everyone might be working remotely and the importance of it. So that is actually sitting still quite high on a lot of companies' priorities. And also we're seeing some businesses that have realized that the HR provision that they had in place just actually isn't good enough and caused them a lot of difficulty during this time. So we're seeing the rise of, it was starting beforehand, but we're seeing the rise of people and culture roles as opposed to HR roles. Yeah. How do we engage with our people? How do we make it a culture that people want to stay in and, and engage with and come and work at? Um, and also diversity and inclusion and um, communication and engagement, those roles are increasing. So we're still seeing some really forward thinking momentum um, when it comes to people strategies, which we didn't see in previous recessions. So it's very different depending on what sector and what business you sat in. Yeah, I think that's so true. And like you say, the difference with this one is there has to be an element of, um, you know, development and supporting employees as they transition to working from home and, you know, dealing with the kind of anxiety, I guess, around, you know, COVID-19 and what could happen yeah. and the companies that have really, and everyone's in like the whole, the whole quote that I like that everyone's in the same storm, but we're all in different boats. Right. And it's, okay. it is that, that, you know, we've almost, I always say, you know, I've been campaigning for mental health and, you know, breaking the stigma for a couple of years now. And I, I believe that however negative COVID-19 has been, it's definitely accelerated conversations around mental health and definitely accelerated, especially within the workplace. You know, companies think saying we need to do something now rather than let's wait and, and, and see when someone's struggling and we'll do something there. Um, so we can talk about this for ages, right? I'm sure. Um, but in terms of kind of, you know, if you are maybe a HR professional on the other side, so not the side where we're innovating and we're doing some amazing stuff, we've got more budgets, um, you know, what kind of advice would you give to them if they are still in the trenches and, and trying to get through this? I think my advice would be that, you know, and as a business leader, I've been in the trenches for a lot of this as well. I've only got a small team, but, you know, at the end of the day, we're constantly reacting to changing news, changing circumstances, changing rules. Um, and there are some businesses that are still figuring out what they're going to look like at the end of this. And those decisions are having to come now because we're seeing the end of furlough. And I think my advice would be do take time to take care of yourself um, in amongst all of this. We were having a conversation yesterday about emotional regulation um, and about the importance of taking time to, to reconfigure and actually reduce your stress levels, reduce your, your cortisol levels, because it would be very easy as a HR professional that's in that place at the moment to completely live in it and soak up all of that worry and negativity that everyone around them is feeling. And also because it's so time consuming and then wanting to get this right for people, it can just become everything you think about and it, be, it can become a really big burden on your shoulders at the moment. And I think a lot of those HR people are finding that, um, you know, wh how, wherever your resilience is stored, I believe it's a pool. You, ha you have a pool of it, you have a store of it and you chip away at it and you use a bit 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 until suddenly you hit a point where you don't have any. And we have to recognize that in order to refill that bucket or refill that, that supply of resilience, we have to do something for ourselves that enables that. So much as you might feel that you're being really effective by working at it all the time for the good of everybody else that you need to make sure is treated fairly, 
um, and, and you're managing how they're feeling about these processes, if you don't take the time to stand back and take an eagle eye view of everything that you're doing at the moment and to go and just take that rest and refuel yourself, actually you won't do as good a job as you could. And then there's a risk that by the end of that process, you'll be beating yourself up because you know you didn't do as good a job mm. as you could. So I think it's really massively important to have a plan and to build into that plan time out for you to refuel and be good to yourself so that you can do the best job for everybody else. Otherwise you won't. Um, and that would be my, my main advice really just make sure you've planned it, make sure that you're giving yourself time to breathe and to think um, so that you can do the best job you can do because ultimately we all feel better when we know we've done things to the best of our ability. Mm. And you don't want to give yourself any space to be thinking, Oh, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? Or why did I behave that way when it could be avoided if you just gave yourself a little bit of space to do whatever it is, walk the dog, read a book, yeah. sit at the window and just have a cup of coffee, just stroll outside and calm yourself down so that you, you, you're taking care of yourself as well. Yeah, I love that. And again, it's that proactive approach rather than just reacting when you have burnt out and when, you know, mm -hmm. things, are, things are going wrong. Um, and I think, you know, it is that perspective. Perspective, I think, is really hard to, to grasp, you know, especially when you are in that place. But it is taking that step back and saying, you know, how's this going to look in five years time, you know, 10 years time, you know, gratitude and, and things like that. But I really like the whole idea of stepping away, putting yourself first, you know, before you obviously, you know, want to continue serving others. Um, Cautious of time, and I know we can talk for ages, so I'd love to ask you some more. But, you know, we tend to sometimes do a bit of a fire round. I haven't prepped you with this, Mo, actually. Um, you really haven't. <laughs> I haven't. Um, but the fire round is just kind of a couple of, like, questions um, uh. that we kind of finished <laughs> with. Um, do you read books? I do. I read a lot. Okay, perfect then. So the first question is, what's the favourite book that you've read recently? Oh, gosh. Well, at the, at the moment, I'm right in the middle of, um, I'm not very sophisticated, I'd say I'm right in the middle of the Outlander series. Okay, nice. <laughs> um, and I'm absolutely loving them for a bit of escapism. But I think if I was going to recommend a series of books, I would say anything by Ken Follett. Okay. Um, real, his, they're historical fiction, and I learn a lot by reading them. And they're just, yeah, they're fantastic. I'll go to anything by Ken Follett, if you like that kind of thing. I want to take, I want to try that out, because I've always been into the whole self-development book. And, and I know that I'm getting bored of it, but I almost want a different perspective. And I like the idea of that, you know, sort of going down that route and learning from, you know, those It's escapism of... for me. Yeah. I, I, I like to go and think about something else. You know, I can think about business all day long. Um, but when I go upstairs at night, I, I have a couple of rules. I never take my phones into my bedroom because that's not the place for it. And I'm always with my phone. So I never take my phones in and I always read a couple of chapters of my book before I go to sleep because I want to clear my head of everything that I've been doing during the day. So I get a good night's sleep so that I'm focused for the next day. I'm not always brilliant at it, but, um, it tends to work for me. So yeah, I tend nice. to read things that are nothing to do with that. Yeah. Who was it? Ben, Ben Follett. Was it? Ken Follett. Ken K -E -N Follett. K-E-N Follett. Yeah. And what's, he's written a couple first, of series What's of the books. first one that you'd recommend for me? I'm going to buy it now. Oh gosh. Pillars of the Earth is the first one. And you'll, you'll start it and think that I'm mad because it's about a guy <laughs> building a cathedral and you'll wonder why on earth I've recommended it. And they're huge books. They're like big doorstoppers of books. But once you get into them, they're great. But the, he did write a series um, of books, um, uh, about um, the Century series, which is actually more about real life history. So, so it's, it follows families through um, 
the First World War, the Second World War, and American independence and racism. And it follows different generations of the same families from different perspectives, like nice. um, black families, German families, Jewish families, American families, um, aristocrats, Welsh miners, all through the same um, periods of history and the growth of the Labour Party. And I've got to probably sounding really boring, but actually no, it's, it's really fascinating because the characters, you get to feel how they're impacted by yeah. it. And it's interesting looking at, you know, our world now and, um, you know, what people went through compared to what we're Yeah, and I think we can, learn so, we can learn so much from history. Like, you know, I, I hated history in school, right? But that's why I'm quite interested in it now because, you know, when we're talking about banging sort of the drama mental health and trying to eradicate stigma, you know, you, you look back at those times and, and, you know, the movements that they created back then. And, you know, in a way I would like maybe in like when I'm, I don't know, 95 years old, looking back and kind of saying, well, you know, now things have, have changed. Um, and, and I think we can learn a lot from how they, you know, created those movements and changed perceptions sort of back then. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm definitely going to check that out. Um, I normally say gadget for this one, I'm going to change it. What's the favorite thing that you've bought recently that's under a hundred pound that's helped you? Oh can my be goodness, gosh. Any, any, anything. And I do, you always know, do you know what I'm going to say? Use my, like gallon water bottle, right? I know. No, do you know what I'm going to say? And this is going to be really boring. I love stationery. So right. I'm showing you because we're on Zoom, but you can see, but I bought these pastel highlighters. Nice. <laughs> and I bought a sparkly Swarovski pen. Nice. And they bring me joy every time I pick them up to I, write with them. I know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm, 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 I'm the same. I can have a bit of a geek out on stationery. I love stationery. I suppose the other thing I would say is I bought myself some Bluetooth headphones because I started doing couch to 5k and nice. I've never been a runner, but I think being having worked at home and having the kids around all the time, actually that running has become my time to be out in space and looking around. Mm -hmm. And it's been, I, I, I'm actually really enjoying it. So my Bluetooth headset is probably also um, something I couldn't be without at the moment. Nice, nice. I like them. Um, and then finally, this is a very deep question, actually, <laughs> but it's always one that gets people um, thinking. Um, if you could offer one advice to the younger you, what would it be? Oh, do you know, someone asked me this very recently, and I, I actually used it in a presentation at an nice. event to a group of um, 14 and 15 year old girls. And there was a couple of things, actually. First of all, as I said earlier, you know, growing up, I didn't have an easy time of it. And I think um, the one thing that I'm really thankful for is that I always gave everything a go. Mm. And I would just always say, give everything a go, join groups, be in the guides, be in the scouts, um, join a sporting group, join a reading group, um, do your Duke of Edinburgh, just expose yourself, get a part-time job, expose yourself to anything that you can expose yourself to because I think there's a lot of pressure put on young people now to know exactly where they're going and to know yeah. what they want to be and have a plan. And I don't think anybody knows at that age unless you're very lucky and you've, you've got a real vocation. Nobody knows. So the best thing you can do is just make yourself as broad a human being as possible and you might find that something finds you, but you've got to make yourself um, findable. So mm. I just say, put yourself out there. You don't have to push yourself too far out of your comfort zone. Just try things, mm. try different experiences. <laughs> Sorry, that's my phone. Um, that's just expose yourself to as many different things as you can. And something might find you that you never considered to be an opportunity for you, but put yourself out there and find out because opportunity will find you if you make yourself accessible. I think that would be, yeah, I love that. I would say. Yeah, I like that a lot. And it's because everyone's talking about, you know, 
career or you know what's your purpose and and people almost wait for it to find them you know and it is that try as much as you possibly can experiment see what works and and even with you know my two boys we always you know my littlest we're trying to encourage him to do more um and we're seeing what he likes and what he doesn't like but obviously with our eldest who's you know sort of at school and has his own kind of hobbies and knows kind of what he likes we're still trying to push him to hey you know why don't you try this why don't you try that why don't you try this and you never know what you're going to like um because i think even as parents right you know you do have these not expectations but it's like oh are they going to be into this and it is just letting them find out what you know works for them and and what what helps them i love that it totally is it totally is and i i um on a thursday night i run a beaver group a beaver scout group which was something that i never really saw myself doing but it's actually really rewarding because you know it's mostly boys that come i do get the odd girl but um, you know, it's nice to see them out doing something else. There's no technology in that room for an hour and they're learning things that they wouldn't have learned and they're having fun together. And we start that again this week, socially distanced, of course, hmm. um, in smaller groups, but we do that. And that's good for me as well to, to kind of push me out of my comfort zone a little bit and yeah. feel like I'm giving something back. The, the other thing, just to add to what would I say to myself, because it's not a piece of advice, but I realized when I was preparing for that um, presentation and also because I was having a little bit of counseling and coaching and um, just to help me overcome a few of the mental barriers that I have which I felt was holding me back as a business owner actually and a leader but um, we, we were talking about kind of you know the, the things I experienced when I was younger and I was saying you know that is the advice I would give because I think it was my savior and um, the fact that I just I, I would always I just wanted to be in giving anything a go I was trying to find my place in the world I think is yeah. what it was Paul and, and, and so I was trying lots of different things but when I look back now at a picture of my teenage self, it's not a pretty sight, I, I will say that. But um, I, I just said, you know what I would say to her? I would say thank you. Because I think she went through the most difficult time in our life, if I think yeah. of us as two separate people. And she's the one that kept fighting and turning up at clubs when she didn't particularly feel comfortable there and kept you know, going, get, trying to get into the netball team and trying to get into the, the sports teams and the youth orchestra and everything else, giving everything a go just to find our place in the world. And if she hadn't done that, if she hadn't fought so hard, mm. um, then I wouldn't be where I am. So I say thank you to her because I think she really did the hard bit for me. And nice. now I get to reap the rewards a little bit. I love that. I love that a lot. It's a great place to end it. I think that's, you know, so inspiring to hear. And, you know, I think hopefully loads of people, whoever's listened to this can learn from that and take something from that as well. Um, Mo, just quickly, where can people find out a little bit more about you or Sullivan Brown if they, if they want to, you know, yeah, well, all the usual. Obviously we're on LinkedIn, but we have a website, www.sullivanbrown.co uk so best place to start and our contact details are on there if anyone wants to get in touch amazing and just finally from me thank you so much for obviously being honest and you know sharing vulnerably today um you know i think that's so key and we need people like you to be able to do that to to try and again try to chip away at the stigma of mental health so i appreciate you doing that and i appreciate um everything that you're doing as well thanks thanks for your time and i'm sure we'll catch up oh, soon. thanks for having me so it's actually you know i hope somebody hears it and finds it useful it's, it's great to have the opportunity no worries. Thank you, Mo. Thank you.